Welcome to the Sanctum. Here we study the mysteries of Dungeon Crawl Classics and Appendix N. With your keepers of mysteries, Jen Brinkman, Mark Bruner, Bob Brinkman. Enter the Sanctum Socorro and be inspired. Happy New Year, and welcome to the Sanctum Socorum Podcast, where we plumb the depths of Appendix N as it pertains to the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game. We are here to help you serve these literary offerings at your DCC RPG table, setting you up for a full year of terrifying your players. With me tonight, our Keeper Jen. Good evening. Keeper Mark. Hello, everyone. And, of course, I am Keeper Bob. Tonight, we explore the written work of Frederick Brown and his tale, Arena. Why don't you tell us about it, Jen? Amid escalating conflict between Earth and mysterious alien outsiders, massive armadas from both sides are set to meet in what looks to be an evenly matched battle. Bob Carson, the pilot of a small one-man scout ship, blacks out while engaging with an outsider counterpart. When he awakens, he finds himself naked in a small enclosed circular area about 250 yards across. In the distance is an outsider, which Carson labels as a roller, because its form is that of a red sphere about one yard in diameter with several dozen tentacles. Carson hears a voice in his mind that identifies itself as an evolved intelligence that has decided to intervene because the upcoming war would utterly destroy one side and hurt the other so badly that it would not be able to one day advance into an evolved intelligence like itself. This entity, therefore, chose one individual from each species to fight in single combat. The loser will doom its kind to instant extinction. Carson and his opponent discover through trial and error that there is an invisible barrier between them, and that only inanimate objects can cross it. Carson tries to communicate with the roller to see if a compromise is possible, but receives a mental message of unremitting hatred. The battle is joined. Ooh-hoo. So, quick round. What did everybody think? Did you like it? Yes, please. I really enjoyed this, so much that I was disappointed at how short it was. Right? Oh, my God. (laughs) Although, I still can't get out of my head because it was here the whole time. But we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. No, but this this is a really good pick. It it just, it was so early in the genre, but it just felt really complete. I think Frederick Brown was noted for a lot of his excellent in terms of the short story work that he did. Mm-hmm. And I can see why based on this. It's a good short science fiction tale. And is it just me or is it the shorter ones that sometimes elicit more excitement from us? We all three seem to have a, <laughs> a lot of things to say about this one. <laughs> 
it packed a lot of punch in a small area. He was very popular in Hollywood. I mean, the guy had has 45 screenwriter credits to his name, you know, whether it's story by or inspired by story. And this story was duplicated, but never replicated a number of times. <laughs> <laughs> You can see the precursors for a lot of different sci-fi that comes later, but you know, especially with Star Trek, where obviously it's he got a writing credit on one of the episodes, even though I think the arena, yeah, arena. But it, you noted also that it was independently derived, but maybe come across by the writer of that episode as something he just didn't subconsciously bring forward until it's pointed out to him. But it, it also has like feelings of Ender's Game. It has feelings of, you know, this sort of enemy alien or alien mind mm-hmm. sort of thing. It really has a lot of predecessor feel to it in a way. And it was written in what, 1944, I think? Right. So yeah, it's just so long ago that it just spawned a branching of of the ideas within for such a small story it's very impactful it feels like well and you can really see that impact i mean blake seven used a very similar story for the duel in 1978 mm-hmm. uh, he-man and the masters of the universe did an episode <laughs> called the arena where these incredibly powerful but peaceful aliens came down and made he-man and skeletor fight oh okay and the outer limits did one called fun and games and while they claim that that was individually derived as well it's interesting to note that the guy that directed that episode of the outer limits directed a movie adaptation of another one of Frederick Brown's works. And so that leaves me thinking, no, they were familiar. They just weren't going to give him credit. Yeah, yeah, I came up with this idea all by myself. Yeah. (laughs) And yet it's so hard to find books by Frederick Brown out there. It's so hard to find his material out there in the real world in a physical format. I know. (sighs) I wonder if that's because he's mostly a short story writer and you had to find like a compilation and it would be like this sort of Lovecraft approach to presenting him to modern audiences. Well, I was thinking partly like Lovecraft. I mean, Lovecraft goes into a used bookstore. Unless you're there and the box comes in, you're not going to ever see it. Mm. But also what he was most known for was mysteries. And so... Maybe the reason we're not seeing a lot of Frederick Brown is because we're not looking at the right section. But he did write some solid sci-fi. He wrote horror, too. Stephen King called his uh, collection Nightmares and Giesenstacks a particularly significant piece of horror literature. Hmm. Intriguing. It's interesting that you know Gary Gygax in Appendix N didn't specifically credit a single story or a single set of stories. It was just Frederick Brown... In total, right? It's one of those authors that's listed yeah. by name. See, it's it's hard to tell exactly what the linkage is that Gygax has. Obviously, Arena because of Star Trek, because of some of the other influences. But it, it'd be interesting to see if some of the horror, some of the mystery elements also fed their way into that creative process for Gygax as well. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was definitely, he was a big name to begin with. The Science Fiction Writers of America... When they looked back to stories published before the Nebula Awards and they did their top 20 best pre-Nebula stories for uh, induction into their Hall of Fame, Arena was in that top 20. Wow. It's such an important story to the genre 
it, these days, when I when I started reading, I'm like, wow, this is really familiar. This is like a Star Trek story, and this is like book seven, and, and all these things. And this is because the arena is sort of like a sci-fi Lankmar, mm, mm-hmm. where we've seen concepts done time and time again that are all just sort of shadows, reflections, and echoes from this story. I think one of the most gripping parts of it is that it starts in such an alien landscape. I mean, to us, Mm, and clearly to readers in the 40s. I mean, they're outside the orbit of Pluto, Mm -hmm. but the main character, who's pretty much the only person they introduce us to, makes it seem so common and, and pedestrian, because he himself is scouting, quote, a scant million miles to one side of the Earth armada. And that one little phrase gives us so much information in and of itself. It's very evocative, yeah. Okay, there's this armada, it's parked outside Pluto, it's waiting for something, and he's just, you know, a scant million miles away. Like, uh, it's almost within view. It's not that far. Right. It's almost within view. It's like around the block. And yeah, it made it seem so approachable for being such high thought. I think in space, there's like a Starbucks every 5 million miles. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, that, but that was one of the things that when I was reading the story that caught my attention, especially for the time, you know, he's writing in 1944. Astronomy is, is still going through a very rapid discovery period at that point in time. But he's still getting the science right you know he's talking about the approach of the outsider ship you know it's in how quickly it's coming because they're a thousand kilometers away and then they suddenly they're right on top of each other sort of thing and he's he's talking about these distances of 20 billion miles from earth you know where they sent this armada out and you know looking up in terms of like reference you know voyager one right now is about 13 billion miles away so it's further out than we've sent our probes and our 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 men to go but but it's still within the conceivable distance of near earth right it's not like this sort of is taking liberties with travel or getting to different stars. It's all within the sort of the near science of the time, which I found really, really fun. Those little things that are peppered in, like you said, Jen. Well, he didn't use the terminology, and I don't know if actually the, the term was in use yet. But when he's talking about, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a mere hundred million miles away, that's a little over one astronomical unit. That's the distance from the Earth to the sun. So you've got kind of this block. I was able to picture exactly how far away he was. Mm -hmm. And he kept his science either vague enough that it didn't matter or really tight because he knew the answers. And that meant that reading this, I didn't have to suspend disbelief about the science and go, oh, well, you know, sort of like, you know, well, Tarzan's white, so he can learn how to read three by himself. No, he can't. (laughs) I can't. You know, (laughs) that's a huge suspension of disbelief. But in this, everything just sort of felt right. Well, it is. It is also the fact that this, the much of the story is grounded in how he can cope with taking the tools and the objects that are around him and applying them. So it's, it almost is this sort of like engineering problem. So I, I think that if you didn't have that sort of tie into a realistic sort of framework of science, that you wouldn't really believe the sort of solvability of the engineering aspects. And, and that's what makes the story fun: is that he finds himself in this environment. He has to do a trial and error to discover, okay, this plant has this type of tensile strength. The, you know, this one is kindling. Yeah. And it, it's sort of these connective tissues that he's obviously a 
person from the future who has to then sort of like think, okay, what what would the, my ancestors have done? What would the Boy Scouts of the 20th century have done with this sort of like <laughs> material? I mean, that's what the, obviously the, the whole conceit of the arena of taking away the tools that he has, the, the scout ship, the armada, and just putting his physical capabilities and mental capabilities against the aliens' mental capabilities and physical capabilities stripped away of everything else. Well, and that's really important to the story because while they say that it will not hinge wholly on physical strength, which it doesn't, it's still very important, but it's not important until after you've proven yourself to be intelligent enough to get through the barrier to begin with. Right. And that nearly killed both of them. And there was still that horror aspect of the unknown. Right. Even going into the possibility of battle in orbit or outside orbit, as it were. Nobody knew what the outsider's capabilities were. And inside this pocket dimension dome thing. That was out of time. Both forces are evenly matched, but neither knew anything about the other. And that was true in both cases. And in this particular setting, he gets to know something about the unknown forces. Once he finally realizes that he can steel himself against that horror, that sheer terror that that's one of the outsiders or the roller's abilities is to just mind blast. Well, yeah, when he first mentally connected with it and he's like, hey, you know, can't we just get along? Because otherwise, you know, one of our races is going to be wiped out. And it was just broadcasting that alien, like, praying mantis, I'm going to kill you hatred. Mm. That was creepy. Mm. And that sort of imagery when connecting with something, I, I mean, I've seen that imagery used by Stephen King. I've seen that used in science fiction and fantasy and horror and here it's just very visceral and again feels very real yes and i thought it was really notable that when the roller <laughs> uh starts pulling legs off of this <laughs> poor little blue lizard oh. the scream of that creature was the first actual sound that carson had heard since being placed in this little pocket time dimension Oh, that's right, yeah. And that the thing just picked it up and was plucking off its legs until it stopped screaming, and then it was bored and just tossed it away. I, mm -hmm. That was just that really served to point out just how alien and vicious these things were. An entire race of violent telepathic sociopaths. It's <laughs> a word for it, yeah. <laughs> and much like in every horror story. The villain has to have tentacles. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, actually, the, the tentacle part made me really wish that I still have my old comics because Marvel Comics did an adaptation of this story in uh, Worlds Unknown in back in 73. And the adaptation was supposed to be really faithful. And I would love to see what those classic Marvel artists made of the roller. Mm -hmm. and you know the the super alien race and i just picture lots of kirby crackle i do i, I just see lots of kirby crackle <laughs> it, with like two colors to have to work with on the palette <laughs> well, lots of blue yeah there's that and this red thing blue and red and white and because he, he still could see his white pigment on his skin so and the creature was red and so was his blood oh that's true ah. 
Yeah. Yeah, so I, I hadn't caught that. Yeah. Th- this is a fun story because it, as I was reading it also, you, you get those kind of creepy horror elements that drip with the tension that's building. And we may get into the little bit with this reskin, but I couldn't help but think, is there any more DCC way to start than waking up naked in an unknown place that's blue with lizards that talk to you all around here? It's just, this was a really fun way to start a story in, in Blue that Sun Death <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> David Beatty calls that Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Just introducing the concept of this godlike advanced alien being that could just pull them out of time. You are here until you are done. You know, nothing happens outside this dome until I deem it so. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. And, and that's a concept, again, that we have seen used. Well, this species has evolved, they've ascended, they've become one. And it, that sci-fi godhood is kind of an interesting concept. And I think it's something that could be fun to, to play with at the table. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. when I read that, I just kind of shrugged it off and went, oh, okay, it's an AI or a judge. It, it's a judge of the table telling us, <laughs> all right, this is where our combat starts. Oh, that's so just Mark, mean. Mark, you're you're absolutely right. What better way to start the adventure? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, Let's it just not really LARP does it, play okay. in that way. Uh, no, no. Wait, I draw the line there. Well, since we're talking about judges and how we do this at this table, let's talk about some of the things to stat. Jen? I didn't want to step on everyone else's toes because I saw your list and whatnot. So as the daughter of someone in the textile industry, the blue flint really has my interest in this. It it was Mm. a very conductive fire starter. Mm. And he was also able to carve it into essentially a spearhead and form a primitive harpoon using the other materials available. And I say materials because there were three types of bushes in that blue sand world, and one of them had really tough tendrils that could be used as a rope. So the touchy-feelies, the textiles, are are really kind of in my brain today. And you could definitely stat up those three types of bushes and all of their properties, maybe some of them... Mm. Like the leaf-like things that he used to try to cover a wound, and maybe they actually have some anti-healing properties to them. Maybe Who they knows? caused his blood poisoning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, one of them was more like a tumbleweed, and the third had kind of a soft, crumbly wood that also ignited fairly quickly, which made me think of something along the lines of peat Mm. and peat moss. Yeah, so the natural items that he found there, uh, natural, I say, it it was a pocket dimension, not even real thing. But putting that aside, the whatever you want to call them, patron, deity, patron AI, the being, the entity responsible for the illusory planet and that challenge between the races. Now, is it an individual? Is it one of a race of individuals like that? Or one of a collective of entities of that sort? How often does this sort of thing happen? That's a good <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so uh, there's my torpid little list there. <laughs> what about you, Mark? I think there's those things like the rollers and the super advanced entities that are present and maybe guardians of 
the races, the, the nascent races, those would be interesting, especially the rollers, I think. There was a few intriguing things that were sort of one-offs that I thought were maybe more niche to explore. He mentioned something called a Nitzian field, I think is what it's called. Mm. Yeah. Like it's it's like an offhand remark about like shields and the barrier and how Earth has this technology, but ours crackle and glow, but this one is, you know, invisible and it, you know, has these like, characteristics. So something to inspire, you know, based on that offhanded comment, which is kind of a fun thing to do with, with authors is to you know, see, well, what what could that mean in the context of what Earth's technology is? And it obviously kind of has the implications of a lot of Star Trek-y things as well, but just the name is very evocative. What is that Nissian field? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I really like the idea of sort of like alternate primitive tech. And this is when the outsider develops his catapult slash ballista type device. <laughs> It's recognizable as something like that, but it's not. It's clearly inspired by a different, you know, evolution chain in terms of where the outsider is and, and how they have to adapt their own appendages and senses to developing something that can throw and lob materials. So the idea that you could have this class of weaponry that is sort of alternative primitive tech and explore what that is would be kind of fun. And what would be the different mechanics or, or with the different uses that a DCC character might encounter and have to adapt to use it? You know, maybe there's a die chain involved, but it's just, just describing what those alternative texts were is it kind of like one of those things I wanted to look at. I also thought just his improvised weapons are just really great sort of creative material for creating maybe a list of like improvised tools that characters, that judges can have sort of ready or characters might have sort of the knowledge to build. Because at one time he comes up with this thing building out of his vines, like a rock sling of fire sticks, you know, fire bombs that he is able to lob and and set that catapult that's created by the outsiders on fire. We've all had that player at the table. Exactly, but mm-hmm. I've been that player idea. at the table. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's kind of this fun practicality of the way it's described to say, yeah, there's some ingenuity here, but it's within the bounds of what is possible given the available materials and and just using that as inspiration for players or for the judge. Maybe not stats, but maybe a list of those types of tools would be kind of a useful thing for judges to have. Yeah, at least kind of a, here's a starting point for you. Exactly, yeah. What about you, Bob? Well, I I was kind of partial to the ten-legged talking lizards. (laughs) Well, I mean... (laughs) I love this. There's kind of this... Or or the six-legged, not-so-talking lizard. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. He gets better. (laughs) Yeah, he gets better. He dies. He kills him. (laughs) Is that really better? (laughs) Um, It was merciful. But it's one of those things where little creatures like that, that have some sort of intelligence that can be helpful, like Vance's Twick Men, like uh, the shorties that appear in Metamorphosis Alpha, little things like that, little kind of harmless creatures that can be of incredible use when you least expect it. I, I kind of have yeah, a soft spot it seemed for like a red herring at first. Well, I thought he was going to eat it because he was talking about how hungry he was and he was wasting away. Well, there's this blue lizard. And then he's like, ah, well, I'm going crazy. Hello, lizard. And the lizard goes, (laughs) hello. I was like, all right, well, I'm with you, dude. You've gone around the bend. (laughs) So those were were really neat. I think they'd be kind of a, a fun addition to any table. You could easily 
right up the rollers, you know, this intelligent alien species with psychic powers. I'm sure we all had that thought. That gets hurt by rocks. Well, everything you get, yes, but you know, he got hit hurt by a rock too. I mean, it's not unusual. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you were, if something you, is completely solid, you were not around. a little boy, so you didn't get into rock fights very often. I'm assuming, <laughs> but when I was young, we got into You'd rock. You'd be surprised. Fights. Well, then you know, rocks hurt. <laughs> Yeah, aliens can be hurt by rocks. And then, of course, like all of us, you know, whether you want to call them the advanced race, you want to call them the Metrons from Star Trek, if you want to call them the Ohm from Masters of the Universe, doing some sort of patron or crawl jammer space god or MCC patron AI write-up, I totally can see that. I mean, this is a patron slash god level being that didn't need to be summoned. It just got involved because, because it could. Yeah, I'm so on the fence about actually statting it up or just giving a history of, you know, how often it's been known to step into things like this before. Because if you stat it up, that means it might get used too often. And there might be too many episodes of Star Trek like that. Well, I think <laughs> in a lot of ways, it reminds me of the King of Elfland. I mean, it can literally stop time across the universe. Think about that for a second. Yeah. Just because it's got a patron write up doesn't mean it's going to always actively get involved. I wouldn't stand okay. it up like a creature. Uh, no. I mean, that, <laughs> that'd just be like, you know, dropping a Tarrasque on your party. Unless you have a party of creatures like that, and that could be interesting in and of itself. <laughs> well, maybe to the point. Maybe, maybe I'm going the wrong direction I think you're going the right direction. I thought overall that that had a lot of promise for right up as, as one of those things, the patron, patron AI, or the space god. Oh, yeah. So when I got to thinking about it, like, like I said, you know, I mean, we've already talked about the, the colored sand, you know, moving over to, to props. I could so see just you know, tossing a handful of blue sand out of the table or uh, getting one of those little Zen gardens and then just going to a craft store. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, you've got this little blue sand area to put the minis in it. <laughs> Oh, it'd be very Get cute. one of those uh, opaque chip bowls for the beach. Yeah. There's your little dome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can buy, you can buy sand in all sorts of colors. So I don't know why we never thought of that before because we've covered the purple planet, never thought of you know, purple sand. But, but, but that's, you know, stuck to me like right out. Like, oh, blue sand. Okay. You just paint the minis white. You just have to base coat them. That's really easy. Uh, <laughs> and then again, that the uh, the battle music from Star Trek Amok Time. The song is called The Ritual slash Ancient Combat. It's the song that everybody thinks of for Star Trek combat. It wasn't actually used in the episode The Arena, although everybody thinks it was. It was used for Kirk versus Spock, of all things. But it's that dun 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 It's so perfect. And uh, the entire time I was reading the story, that was just on loop in my brain. And uh, <laughs> it was a very lonely place to be. <laughs> mm -hmm. What about you, Jan? I'm actually thinking this would fit for a nonverbal type of story game. Like, players can only talk together if they're on the same side or on the same team, because 
It was so silent and so desolate under that dome. Of course, absolutely no music, because that silence caused the tension in and of itself. The silence, the lack of passage of time, all of that played to the psychological horror of it as well. Just punctuated by the occasional screaming lizard. <laughs> or flying right. rock. Right, yeah. and and you can go to the toy store and get plenty of those little blue plastic lizards. Go to the dollar store for them. <laughs> I, I just envisioning this great Gary Khan sand table with blue sand, <laughs> blue lizards, and and Bob's primed oh, minis. Oh boy, just, that's this is the next Gary Khan <laughs> uh, adventure. So we'll get some red rubber balls and toss those <laughs> yeah. in for good measure. Yeah, it's, there it's, we go. They start rolling nice them towards easy. the minis. And <laughs> yeah, just a clear plexi for that wall between them. Put some slits in the red balls and put a red wacky wall walker inside of it so you've got tentacles sticking <laughs> out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to tap out in a minute. Thinking of, I've really been kind of on the, the story game kick, like the development of languages and everything like, like we were dealing with in our prior book by Offutt. I was thinking cards for random non-game related items to give to players. Like, example, there's one that says red ball, and the note under it is evokes indescribable horror. And then if you have a game like Intrigue at the Courts of Chaos, and say one of those key items is presented in the form of a red ball, just, uh, you know, insert ellipses here and award fleeting luck when played correctly. Mm encourage players to step outside their comfort zones a little bit. Encourage them to react as opposed to just sit back and try to formulate ideas. Mm -hmm. How about you, Mark? This got me thinking in terms of similar, I guess, you know, sort of like story-based play, but really more interactive because I couldn't help but have this vision sort of like, you know, having a sand table. But my thought was that you have a some sort of table that's divided and I could only think of like a ping pong table, you know, where you have like a net in the middle and you have oh, teams yeah. of players set up on either side and you give them like different tools and objects, maybe rubber bands and toothpicks and they construct like, you know, material out of those and try to lob dice over that that net at the, op <laughs> the opponents, uh, at the other players' constructs. And I, I just thought this like dice Ooh. battle of catapulted 20-sided dice was just the image I, I kept thinking back to. Party at Mark's place. <laughs> <laughs> but you could do something, you know, like that where the players are just given objects that they have to do something with. And it's sort of like the, what you're you're saying, Jen, with these, you know, if you have cards or if you, or if you have some unrelated materials that they have to engineer a, a solution out of, and then they have to demonstrate that using that in some clever way. And if you, if you make a game out of it, like where it's, it's literally like a game that you play for, you know, a fun night where you, you have this contest or you just, they, they come up with sort of like the, it's the, intrigue at the quarter chaos here make the make the thing look like something out of putty mm -hmm. that michael curtis has i mean those things are very memorable for the players at the tables and i think you could take something like arena and you know have these objects that they have to assemble and there's not necessarily a right way of doing it. it's just whatever their creativity allows you award luck or you award some solution to a problem based on that that was something i also thought this you know take on that idea of you know how do you make this into 
something for your players, especially a group of players, because arena is very much two individuals, right? You know, mm-hmm. they're competing against each other. So you have to somewhat expand this if you want to run it for your regular group. And thinking back to those convention games that, you know, where the like the black powder, black magic folks, where they would run these oh, competing yeah. tables, uh, you know, where they had to, um, you know, there was like one was the outlaws, one was the hometown, and they had to like, yeah. come up with a, you know, a, they had a conflict, but they were basically being run by two judges, you could do something like that, but make it an arena style either improvise tools where they have to come together and 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 build these things and and like i said lob you know dice or or something like that it becomes more of a practical effect and and i i think this this sort of like felt suited for like a convention type style approach where you could adapt it um yeah, similar to what those guys did the first doug con game i ever played in was two divided tables and one was one the characters were men the other the characters were women and we were battling to the death at yeah. the, at oh, the wow, end of the okay. world so yeah, yeah no it, i could totally see something like that for a convention play i had never thought of something like doug con with rational rules yeah. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say the rules were all that rational, but uh, yeah. I, well, no, like they would be in this case. <laughs> but yeah, no, that was. Does that does that mean that Doug is a is a being out of time and and space that can uh, that to your talking PC? Wizards? He sure is. Yeah. You bet. <laughs> yeah. Because come on, Personally, he just come up, he'd draw I don't something know if... and say you have this now. Yeah. He still does that. So yes, I'll yes. just say yes. <laughs> So, uh, moving on, what about some existing DCC inspirations? Or what would you want to reskin? Uh, Mark, you already mentioned you know, something maybe like uh, Black Potter, Black Magic. What else were you thinking? So, this, this made me think of the 998th Conclave of Wizards, Enter the Dagon. The Spell Duel modules are the ones that I kind of left mm-hmm. to because you could take something like those modules and reskin it as, you know, these individual combats where you're transported to a different place. And, you know, maybe it is a spell duel still, or maybe there's some limitations on what the wizards can do. Maybe they don't have all their material components, or maybe there's certain things that their magical effects can't do, and they have to put together a combination of things in order to get their magic to go off. So I think you could do something fun with an arena-style, you know, reskin of some of those spell duels that are part of those modules, specifically. The other thing that this made me think of was a few years back, we had a Google Plus community that was just dedicated to fighter duels. It was the oh yes, the Google I loved it, that. It was a lot of fun. It was it was basically just people getting on and and doing like mini duels using just fighter characters, right? We started with the spell duels. Well, it started with uh, first annual Wizard of Bald Mountain. That's oh, right. God, that's yes. right. Yeah, and it was it was a Halloween <laughs> no, it event was essentially, that uh, that Harley put together. Yeah, and it was essentially play by post. Right, and it was basically anybody could just join in and do. And that just that was such a fun sort of micro group within the the larger DCC community. It's, it's also one of those things that you realize now with G plus sort of moving on that we are you know that. It was one of those things that we're losing some resources. Yeah, we're losing some things like that, and this would be a fun thing to do again in in that sort of that context. And I think it made me think fondly of that. You know, those almost like impromptu events that people just you know collaborate on, and it comes together. And I think that would be something you could do in an arena style. It's very similar to what we were doing, you know, with the fighter duels anyway. But you could do something and adapt it and and have fun with it, just because. 
those are things like it's sort of like the flash mob of DCC, right? You know, I, where I remember the players typing in, okay, so what kind of stuff's around me? Can I grab a chair? Can right. I grab this? Right. And impromptu weapons abound. As the person who adjudicated the fighter duels, um, <laughs> that was <laughs> that's right. I remember. Yeah, <laughs> that was uh, that was that was pretty tough. That also reminds me that I wrote up the second place winner for an issue of Dungeon Lord that never came out. So I'll drop that into the Sanctum Companion. Ooh, nice. Ooh. In a lot of ways, this takes me back to Death by Nexus, one of mm. the DCC yeah. okay. tournament adventures. Mm-hmm. And rather than doing like law, chaos, and neutrality, it would be fun to do something like DCC, MCC, and like Crawljammer or Starcrawl or one of those. So all three groups get this vision but it's something different. You know, the DCC characters see it as the King of Elfland. And the MCC, it's a patron AI. And Crawljammer, it's one of the space gods. Oh, God. That's it. That's a And these three groups put together and, uh, and warring back and forth, I think. Now I want to do that with, like, all third-party products. <laughs> okay, That'd so, be a lot of fun. Yeah. so Hubris or Drongo... America and like Crawljammer, Star Crawl. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We can do this. We got this. <laughs> and, and I mean, like I said, he the the entity already reminded me of the King of Elfland. So mm-hmm. using you know reskinning it that way just seemed sort of a, a no brainer. My initial thought was just you could run this as an MCC adventure with just a patron AI sweeping up representatives of two warring tribes. But the more I thought about it, I'm like, well, th- the same creature could be interpreted in different ways through the eyes of different beings. Mm-hmm. It could be the same creature. It might even look exactly the same, but would be described differently. Um, i trying to remember. There was, a, there was an old text adventure game from Infocom, and it, rather than moving around, you controlled robots that moved around and did things for you. Each one of them had different sensory systems. So one described the room by the sounds in it, and one described it by, like, heat signatures. And so, you know, for DCC, yeah. obviously this being is wearing some sort of armor where in the far future, well, he's wearing some sort of spacesuit, and, you know, but the MCC, it is obviously a patron AI clad in the garb of the ancients, but it's all the same thing from different perspectives. And I think Death by Nexus would be perfect for that. Okay. I mean, you could easily draw on, like, uh, Mind Games from Shield of Faith or uh, Crawljammer Issue 3 for different psionic rules if you want to incorporate psionics and make things even kooky weird. Oh, man. No, that, that'd be perfect for that roller. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, man. That kick myself because i didn't think of it first <laughs> but, but yeah so that's that's kind of where i went i you know i started with well i could take this and make it and then i went "Ooh, wait you know yeah, sorry folks bob's not writing another adventure this month uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know death by nexus oh my god and those dcc cabal adventures yes. those three adventures were really kind of fun uh, you know hypercube of might if you mm-hmm. think about making that a combat arena you could, you could strip things out and just use that kind of weird map because it is because it's so alien to begin with. I mean, all sorts of little things like that. <laughs> so, what about you, Jen? What would what were your thoughts? 
I had definitely gone the patron AI route, but I was looking into Crawljammer, and issues 4 and 5 actually denote some of the space gods. And so specifically, I was looking at Sperato, the god of hope, as, hey, that could quite possibly be one of... I hope you two races don't wipe yourselves out. (laughs) 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 Kind of, sort of. But then I was like... You know, I want to go a little bit more old school, and I dropped back to Crawl Issue 1 from, I think it was April 2012 is when it was written, or released, I should say. The long ago. You you have that patron in there that you just want to laugh at the name, because it's Van Den Danderclandon, and also known as the Future Master, but he seeks to manipulate the paths of the PC's lives in order to synchronize them to an existential resonance. <laughs> and that's just... Hot damn, there we go. That doesn't fill you <laughs> with existential dread. I don't... <laughs> that's a great okay, one. Okay, okay. So, so Blue Sun Deathcrawl. Yeah, we, we covered that one. Um... And I think the one I'm going to end on is, yeah, you wake up in a strange place and you actually have to fight in an arena for the privilege of potentially living and or leaving. And that would be the funnel escape from the purple planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a good one because I mean, you could totally just make the purple planet reskins as this blue sand and explore that environment. You know, it doesn't have to be it, yeah, an alien God. It's, it's, it's totally the, the reskinned purple planet into this. And, and you get to, to write up all these different elements that are, that are new and unique to that blue planet. So. Yeah. And just strip out the red tones and put a dome over the arena instead of giving it a couple extra suns. And <laughs> you should be just fine. You could even take out some of the secondary and, shall we say, tertiary places that you can explore from the place you wake up and just go straight to that arena. Mm-hmm. And depending on how the judge wants to run it, it could last your PC a couple of days there. And then see where you wake up when the battle's over. Are your scars healed? Do you have that perfect little scar where you just got hit with the rock and it was infected, but now it's healed over and a nice little scar? Yeah. Yeah, there there was there were some parts of that ending that were kind of weird on that. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that left the book, not the real. Moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Well, okay. I think uh, I think that takes us to our DCC feature for the show, Star Crawl by Jonathan Snodgrass and the Tuesday Night Fiend Club. Uh, same people that brought us Vehicle Mayhem. So nice, mm. Mark. Why don't you tell us about it? Ready to escape the shackles of terrestrial campaigns? Star Crawl is here to take your games across the cosmos. This book is packed to the gills with useful rules and tools for sci-fi gaming in the DCC style. Starcrawl's 112 black and white pages include six new classes and guidance on taking DCC and MCT characters into space, all new race template rules including 12 character races, 
new weapons, armor, and equipment with rules for customization, bestiary of aliens and monsters, quick tables to help create new worlds and stellar encounters, a full zero-level funnel, The Promethean Adventure. While features of this book can be applied to any game system, Starcrawl is designed for use with the Dungeon Crawl Classics and Mutant Crawl Classics RPGs. Yes, it is. And I think it has the uh, distinction of being the first item ever offered up that has both the DCC and MCC logos on its cover. Ooh, it's licensed nice. under both. Wow. And they included an intro to the DCC rules, and I don't think I've ever seen a third-party product do that before. So that makes it a full-blown supplement now in my opinion. Yeah, well, it's, it's, yeah, it's, a, it's a complete system. You can pick it up, you can play it. It's got a really cool psionic system that is different from the one from Crawljammer. It's different from Shield of Faith. Mm-hmm. But it certainly works. It feels a little bit more like D&D psionics. When I was reading it, I was a little leery at first. But it doesn't really seem to run like old D&D psionics. <laughs> so, uh, so there's that. I thought that was really cool. And yeah, it's got Starborn patrons and Starcrawl race templates. So you can easily write up like the rollers or the ancient race or anything else. There's these little templates. Just boom, here's your race. Off you go. Ooh, and and you could print those race templates out and shuffle them and just pick two to decide which races have to fight it out, and then only one survives. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm fitting in with the theme. Bumper for birth, Markel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it is a cool supplement, and, it, and it's it's very rich. It's, it's long. I mean, you get a lot for what you're purchasing. You mentioned, Jen, that they have like an introduction to the DCC rules. They also have this great illustration of the dice chain, mm-hmm. which is just, just the, yeah. kind of, uh, the best way I think I've seen it illustrated. You know, it's, it's just it, it's a very good encapsulation of it. There's a lot to love in here. If you look at the occupations tables, clearly they put a lot of thought into, you know, creating some some memorable occupations, but also just some just just fun off kilter ones like they have aftermath cleaner where you get a bio suit and, and genetic dissolving compounds Bleach. or I, lo- I i loved astronaut you get a name a star named after yourself as your as your starting equipment and that and that's <laughs> and, and just the idea that you that's start, just silly it's silly but it's also one of those things that i could totally take that and do something oh, with yeah. it in my campaign this star that's, that's a named role-playing tool i'm heading there you know that's that's like you know, I want to start my adventure there. That's it's kind of a fun thing. It, he also does a lot of fun things with new mechanics that I thought were kind of cool that I hadn't seen before. And one of them that I really liked was the idea of a credit die. So there is no monetary system. Okay. Every player has a die on the die chain that you can move up or down depending on whether your fortunes are you know, good or bad, say you have like salvage you encounter, well, you bump your credit die up one die on the die chain. And when you want to purchase something, it has like an objective, you know, number that you have to hit in order to buy it. So if you want that plasma rifle that costs four, and you've got a D6 credit die, well, you have to hit that four or up in order to buy it or burn luck to do it. And I just love that idea. It's a very lightweight approach to money and it's very DCC and it's in its formulating. Yeah. 
it's very similar to like D20 Modern or um, Rogue, Rogue Trader, Trader. Yeah. And, yeah. and other games where, you know, hey, look, money is nice, but we don't want to bog you down because you're no longer playing someone who is literally out to just amass the the largest amount of gold you can get. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like in uh, in DCC Lankmar, money becomes kind of secondary because it can come and go so quickly right. when you're carousing. Right. And it's moving towards the story, and Starcrawl kind of does the same thing. It's like, okay, okay, you've got money, moving on. Let's hand wave it. I don't want to bog down... It's it's the credit check from Call of Cthulhu. It's you know yeah. it's, it's, it's these things. Yeah. But the the fact that they tied it into the die chain makes it really yeah kind of this nice Even nice better. integration yeah. with TCC. Yeah. And um, you're right. Yeah, you get a lot for your money. I mean, this thing costs what like the same as one of the larger modules or special covered modules from Goodman. It's like what? Yeah. Fifteen sixteen bucks. Yeah, I think it's fifteen dollars is what's listed and. You know, it's like 112 pages. You get a couple patrons. You get these new classes, a lot of race templates that you can apply to your MCC world, your even your DCC world. If you want to take a, and shift away from races class, well, then you have the sort of the model to go from based on these templates. You know, these are how you can have a generic background for any character that you're your fighter, your thief, but you want to vary it up by having the non-human version of those characters so now i i did think that the ship stats get to be a little bit on the crunchy side not in a bad way but kind of like when you stat up dragons from scratch in dcc there's a lot to it it it's like the first time you do a spell duel it feels a little too crunchy yeah it's i mean this is inheriting some of the star frontiers um, right. right, which is which is it is a trying to take on like the 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 ship to ship combat aspects of that versus like Crawl Jammer, which is just a a very lightweight ship to ship monster bestiary sort of approach. But these are for the people who want to have those sort of like fiddly bits on their ships and their hulls and and things like that. But I will say it's less crunchy in other places like travel and distances should serve the story. And they're totally at judge's discretion. Likewise, in the very beginning, it said, you know, hey, here's the basics for DCC rules. Now, within this book, you might find some things that contradict that. And your judge might make a call that contradicts all of that. Go with the judge. They're there trying to make the best story for you. Ditch the book. And I can get behind that. Because, especially in in DCC, we know that so very few people stand up to run a table just for themselves. It's all for the table as a whole. So I I really appreciated the less... The less is more. Less rules. Yeah, yeah, less rules in some places. And, like, I could totally see using this system, uh, mini system, system, what are we calling it? Is it a complete system now? It's, it's Starcrawl. <laughs> I could I could totally see using Starcrawl in conjunction with like null singularity, mm. especially with those environmental deviation tables. Oh yeah. Because your arena just got a lot more desolate and loose and null crawl. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dang it. Uh, um, I the fact that the ship combat involves templates. It's a little reminiscent of Gaslands or 40k. I wouldn't bother getting minis for it, but if I've got to use those templates for movement and fighting and whatnot, if it's one-on-one, it's not so bad, but when you have multiples, it gets kind of confusing without visuals. So I'm kind of inspired to get a mat from Wargaming Industries. Oh, yeah. Those mats are awesome. Brilliant. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, stellar displays, if you will. <laughs> I are punny. You are punny. And boy, if you're getting punny, that tells me that we, we are moving on to road trips. <laughs> <laughs> against being punny. But wait, there's new patrons in here, too. Uh, right? Like, <laughs> two patrons. There's not as many monsters as I necessarily would have thought, but it, it's not well, a gigantic book, either. I think they were very judicious with their use of space. I was really surprised it held as much as it did. I I was almost expecting something akin to, say, Crawl Jammer, where it doled out little bits. In each issue, right? Issue. But this is just right. yeah. one full blown supplement, and this and this has this has a lot. Yeah, and there's room for more. Like there, there's room if they want to put out some more things. Oh for yeah, it. they could easily. But it, really it's pretty things. solid as is. Yeah. So, moving over then to our road crew and convention shoutouts. Corey Welch will be running a Carnival of the Damned tournament at TPK Gaming at 916 Roosevelt Road, (laughs) Glen Ellen, Illinois, on Saturday, January 26th from noon till 8 p.m. Or until your brains have leaked out of your ears smelling of cotton candy. (laughs) It is. I love the name of the gaming store. We also have Meetups, DCC RPG NYC group, hosting weekly games on Saturday afternoons at the Brooklyn Strategist, rotating between Judges Hoy, Andrew Sternick, Vasily Kaliman, and David Willems. And please note that the Brooklyn Strategist does have a $10 cover charge. M. Nixick is running DCC Funnels from 2 to 6 p.m. every Saturday at Tacoma Games in Tacoma, Washington. Daniel J. Bishop and Toronto Crawl Classics. Off and running with the Mix and Match campaign. Players are encouraged to drop in for any session to join in on the fun. It all takes place at The Sword and Board on Bloor Street from 5 to 9.30 every other Tuesday. Check with Daniel J. Bishop, a.k.a. Raven Crow King, online or with the store for more details. Mike Carlson is running Open Table DCC Games on the second and fourth Mondays of the month at Everybody Reads Books and Stuff in Lansing, Michigan. Games start at 6.30. Tim Lawcrest is running DCC at Blank Comics in Florence, Alabama. You know, should we all, like, pull together and buy that store a name? You know, could... That <laughs> 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 Blank Comics in Florence, Alabama. Every other Sunday... Check with Tim or the store for further details. Christian Bird is hosting a regular open game on Tuesdays at the Beer Temple in Chicago. Mario Garcia runs a weekly DCC game on Thursday evenings at Funnigan Games in Eugene, Oregon. Chris Tanglebones Lorisella runs DCC MCC games roughly every other week at Bell Book and Comics in Dayton, Ohio. 
More details can be found online at Meetup. Are you running Road Crew Great? Drop us a line at thehub at sanctum.media to let us know. Even better, join the Guardians of Secrets. Send us your upcoming events for inclusion, and once you've submitted a few successfully run events, you'll be inducted into the roles of the Guardians of Secrets, able to enter your events directly onto the calendar. Members will periodically receive exclusive items for their tables, such as the free RPG Day Companions, the print-on-demand Appendix nightmares and other benefits to come if you're listening and looking for a game go to sanctum.media and click on the community events link our updated calendar system will certainly help you find a game be sure to scroll all the way down for full venue and host judge information and finally calling our fellow readers we would love to see what sort of things that you've created based on your appendix and reading Keep an eye and ear out for our future topics. We can include your material in the show companion, the DCC community's only free monthly e-zine. And remember, we have quite a few things in our prize closet of mystery to give away. In return for contributions, we have zines, modules, great appendix, and daw yellow spines, and more. So, so many yellow spines. Oh, <laughs> glorious. Submit your creations to us. Again, that's the hub at sanctum.media. In the meantime, if you're enjoying the show, help us by posting a review on iTunes. Those ratings and reviews help new listeners find the podcast. Drop a review on DriveThruRPG of one of the issues of the companion. Help us reach more people. The more people we reach, the more content we get, the better everything gets for everybody. Drop us an email, comment on the podcast, chime in on our G Plus page while you can. Check out the new MeWe page, mention us on Facebook, ignore us on Ello. Always. Mark, <laughs> any, any closing words and thoughts? Oh, I just... Keep being inspired and join us uh, for lots of fun in the future. Jen? I got nothing. Okay. Well, are you, <laughs> I thought you were <laughs> muted for a second there. Well, then. Nope. My brain skipped a track. Sorry. Game on, everyone. Well, thanks for listening. Be inspired. You have been listening to the Sanctum Secorum Podcast. Join us again next time as we examine Carnelian Cube by Elsprog de Comp and Fletcher Pratt. The Sanctum Secorum Podcast has been a production of Sanctum Media. Copyright 2019. I'm bored. Me too. This 24th level dark elf barbarian assassin is lame. Hey, want excitement? I do. Want adventure? 
Yeah! Then just open up a vein and pray to the Dark Master! Burn some luck and roll a die. Now you're ready to listen to Spellburn! Welcome to Spellburn, a podcast about the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game and old-school adventuring. Join the band and party like it's 1974. Hey guys, can I play? Sure! Check us out at Spellburn.com or wherever fine iTunes are served. Oh, cool! I summoned a demon horde!